Oh man, that was the longest, boringest way you could possibly have described Launch Center Pro. You've been very busy this week, haven't you? Like, this feels like a week of gray productivity unlike I've ever seen before. Yes, I have been I have been unusually busy this week. I was very surprised this morning to see another episode of Hello Internet Pop-Ups. It's like two episodes in a week. It's magical. Yes, within a week there have been two episodes of Hello Internet because we just put up our... Uh, special Royal Society episode this morning. Then I I put up a video yesterday and I'm recording Cortex with you right now, which will go up on Friday. And at some point this week, I'm also recording another episode of Hello Internet. So yes, it is is an unusually busy week for me this week. I'm going to take credit for that. Like, you know, we we started a, a show where you're looking at your productivity and now your productivity has increased fourfold. You can take credit for that if you want, but it w- it would be a total lie, especially <laughs> when I go back to just a normal week next week, and then it's fine. I I'm, I have no problem living a lie. Like if you're taking credit, you also have to take blame. That's how this works. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with that. I would definitely take the blame with that. Okay. Um, there was something that you've been doing because obviously, as part of your productivity blitz, you were posting pictures of your OmniFocus. Oh, <laughs> all day. Like, it's funny if you go, if you like look at the, because some apps show like the re- recent media and it's basically just a grid of OmniFocus icons. People who follow me on, on Twitter know already that it's usually pretty obvious when I am animating because I am on Twitter all day long when I'm doing the animations for a video because I find the animations just a very tedious process. And Twitter, while while it is normally just nothing but a distraction, I, I think I work better with Twitter open because it's a bit of like a steam vent of just I can I can kind of pour a little bit of frustration out on onto Twitter. And so yes, whenever I'm very active on Twitter is usually when I'm I'm animating and that day in particular, because uh, I'd originally planned to post two things. I had this this OmniFocus badge that I was, I thought, ooh, it happens to start out at over 100. I'm going to post this. And I, I originally just said, oh, something like, oh, I'm going to war with this number today, as I was trying to launch two pro- um, two projects on the, on the same day. And then as time went on, I thought, oh, I just kept posting like milestones uh, as the day went on. But yes, it was, it was a little, it was a little silly and... I often feel like I need to apologize to the people who follow me on Twitter. It's like it was just ticking down as the day was going on. It was yes. funny. It was, you know, I, there were people I see were tweeting at you and like, you know, I never expected today would be the day that we'd follow along with you as, <laughs> as you go through this roller coaster of, of badge icons. Yes. Very exciting. <laughs> I wouldn't have expected you to be a badges man, like to have mm. the little number on your app icon. That doesn't feel like it fits with the overall ethos of your home screen uh, balance. No, no, it it does not. And if you looked at the screenshots from, from the phone that we did last time, there was no badge on OmniFocus. This is one of these things where I, I do constantly try to think about my system and try to make little changes. And it occurred to me, I don't know, about a week ago that I really do hate badges on the phone. I have, I have some severe thoughts about badges and and how people allow them on their phone and i i dislike them i generally don't have badges for almost anything 
But I thought, huh, maybe I can use my intense dislike of the badges as a kind of productivity fuel. Huh. And I, I spent, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't very long, but I spent maybe a half an hour or so rejiggering my OmniFocus a little bit to try and pull out a selection of items that need to be done by the end of the day and to just have OmniFocus display a badge for for those items. I was thinking back to when I used to be a teacher, I used to have a, a series of printed pieces of paper, uh, one for each day of the week, and on them were written the things that had to get done before I was allowed to go home at the end of the workday. Now, of course, there are always an infinite number of things that you can do on a workday, but it was helpful to have just a list of the things that have to get done before I can go home. And so in OmniFocus, I was thinking, oh, maybe my current working life is quite different, but maybe there's a little bit of this that I can I can recreate. And so that's what I was attempting to do with the badges, is to make more visually obvious items that really have to get done on this day before I can even remotely pretend like the workday is over. So that's what I set up in OmniFocus, and that's what I was, uh, that's, that's what I have been playing around with for the past week, and I would say that initial results are promising. Because I think for me and for most people, like you have to balance the idea of anxiety and reward with the badges. So I'm I'm very I have some apps that I allow badges to be on, but it's very specific the way that I do that. Like I allow messaging apps, for example, you know, like Slack mm. or iMessage and stuff like that. If if they're direct messages to me, I will let the badge be there so I know that they're there because they tend to be more things that need more urgent attention, so you know that they're mm. there. And OmniFocus, I have it only show a badge for overdue items. So once mm. something passes the the time that I set for it, it pops up. Mm. Because I, seeing badges can make me anxious because it's like I know that there's stuff in there that needs to get done and it's like mm. I'm not doing it hence why the badge is there but then you also have the reward part of it which you're going through which is I have these things here and I get to watch them go down and that is a good feeling but mm. I think you kind of have to, to, to work out what side of the uh, what what kind of what flip side of the coin you you land on? Like you you have to feel like this is the way that I want to go about this. I want to either feel like I've got something that is trying to grab my attention, or mm -hmm. I have something that is making me feel good because I'm ticking it off. In general, my philosophy with notifications and badges is is sort of along those lines of. <laughs> I just I just see so many people who have who have phones that just just beep or or have badges on them for all all kinds of crap. And I think you really need to to look at those notifications and say, okay, a notification, in, in a perfect world, it should be something about which I need to take action. And the more interruptive the notification is, the the more immediate the action should be. And I just I see lots of people who just don't who don't do this. And the, the badges, uh, I think, are, are a little bit low down on that notification uh, hierarchy because most of the time with apps that will show a badge, I don't also have them interrupt me and, and alert me to something. But I can see the badges on the phone and I think, okay, something is in this app that needs to be cleared. But, but I've seen people use badges on apps for things that I just think are crazy. I've, I've seen people do stuff like, oh, I want my read it later app 
to just have a badge on it of how many articles I have in this read it later app. Like, what, what are you, what are you crazy? Why, why do you need to see 247 as a red badge on the top of your reading application? Like, didn't you, didn't you put those articles in there? Don't, don't you know that they're in there? And what about this is remotely urgent? You know, you can't possibly have 247 must read items. So I really try to limit badges and notifications to the bare minimum it can possibly be and always run it through this spectrum of if the app is going to notify me about this thing, one, is there an action that I need to take? And two, is that action relatively immediate? And, and if the answer to both of those questions is yes, then I'm going to have some kind of notification. For the moment, OmniFocus is really the only thing on my phone that has a, an always present uh, red badge on it is really the only one that gets that. So that's why I think it is effective, at least in the moment, for making me want to grind through the items that are there because I want to get rid of that badge and then return to a nice, clean iPhone or iPad screen. It's interesting that you have allowed one app you know, to break through that, but I think that OmniFocus is probably the kind of app that would be allowed. OmniFocus is really the dashboard for my whole life is, is the way I think about it. And so if anything deserves to have an, a, a badge on it, OmniFocus is it. And I haven't put the badge on for years because of my dislike of badges and my desire for a clean iPhone screen. But like I said before, it occurred to me, ooh, I could, I could use my desire for the clean iPhone screen as a kind of a, a little bit of an additional push. And so to intensely uglify my iPhone screen or my iPad screen a tiny bit to get a little bit more work out of myself. I have a little bit more follow-up. This is our first show having follow-up. Yeah, actually, practically the entire show <laughs> is going to be follow-up with some description because mm-hmm. we have now turned over the show to the people and the people have many questions, Gray. Yeah, we, we, have, we have received many tweets, many comments, many screenshots from people oh, yeah. who have listened to the first two episodes. We're going to get to that. Um, mm-hmm. But there was something that, that I wanted to, to give to our listeners. Uh, I mm-hmm. do many other podcasts, as, as you you know, and, and some people may know. One, one could even say you have a whole network of podcasts. That would be correct. <laughs> uh, one of them uh, at the moment is a show called Inquisitive, where I'm, I'm actually talking to people about their favorite albums. And mm-hmm. out of pure uh, just serendipity, uh, this week's episode was Serenity Coldwell of I'm More. She picked All Day by Girl Talk. Mm-hmm. which we have spoken about, and now many people are familiar with that album that maybe weren't before. But if you want to hear uh, me and her talk about that and listen to two people, kind of two nerdy people trying to rap a little bit, because that definitely happens, mm. um, I would suggest listening to that episode. Because it's, it's fun to hear more about that album, and it's really interesting to hear how so many people use it as a way to focus their attention. It's a mm. very strange album, for that like but it seems like so many people use it for that reason very interesting so you should check that out and one of the biggest questions one of the 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 questions that i saw the most on i think it was about episode one Mm -hmm. was people were asking why you had a personal assistant (laughs) so many people ask this it's really interesting this kind of stuff there are things that you say during an episode and they're just like throwaway comments but they seem to lock in with people and it is interesting mm. that you have a personal assistant. Like, people don't understand why or how it's set up. Um, so we're actually going to address this in a later episode. We're going to turn it into a bigger topic and talk about that kind of stuff. Oh, you're um, just teasing the people now? Is that what you're doing? I just want people to know that I'm not ignoring their questions, Greg. Ah, okay. It's very important that, that the people understand 
that our listeners understand that I listen to them. That is my that is my role here is like you know, is to 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 take the suggestions from the audience and and relay them to you. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that, and we will talk about that in a later episode. But we should talk about home screens mm-hmm. because this is the one that I've seen the most. There are so many people that hate this show for this reason now because they have completely like it's like a love hate relationship. Because they have completely, like I did, upended their phone, and it's all over the place. I, when I was in WWDC, I went, was in San Francisco for Apple's WWDC event, mm-hmm. and there were people that were actually going through the process at that point. They'd listened to the episode, and they were showing <laughs> me what they were doing and how their life was ruined because they didn't know where any of their apps were. The, their life has been improved because I pointed out how horrible most people's iPhone screens are. So they have improved their iPhone screen, so their life is better. They have a more aesthetically pleasing environment in which to iPhone. There is a, there is a significant problem which I'm still going through, which is the fact that now everything is not where I thought it was. <laughs> that is a problem. There are always transition costs, but these transition costs are worth it. So I have further follow-up for my own phone. I've now changed my wallpaper gray. Mm-hmm. Oh, I no longer God. have clown vomit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is. I'm actually. I'm currently rocking the official Cortex wallpaper. Oh, we have an we have an official wallpaper. I did we not do. Know that. Our, our designer put a wallpaper together for us, which I am now using. There is a, even a CGP Grey version of the wallpaper, which takes into account the way that you set up your phone. Oh, that's a good looking wallpaper. I want to see it on your phone. Okay. I, I need to. I need to talk to you about this for a second, because. Okay. Oh, we're not doing this again, are we? The official Cortex wallpaper for the listeners is, it's it's like very dark graph paper. And you know how graph paper has thicker lines and thinner lines? It's a very good looking wallpaper, I have to say. Um, but Mike, so Mike has just sent me the picture of his iPhone screen. Much improved. It's a dark background, so the icons stand out. You still have four icons on the dock, which is unfortunate, but it seems like you're just not going to fix this. However, I I don't know if you noticed this, but you have misaligned the grid from the icons. Yeah, I'm trying to... to, I've tried very hard to get this to work. I mean, this is... Immediately, this is the only thing I can see when you send me this screenshot is that your wallpaper is is shifted slightly to the left so all of the icons are not centered, which is... I spent a very, very long time <laughs> trying to get this right. You may have spent a long time on it, but you have not spent enough time on it. I think you need to turn off Perspective Zoom if you're going to use this wallpaper I did, properly. and I'm still struggling. I'm going to fix it, okay? I'm going to fix it whilst we're on the air right now. Well, I'm going to try anyway. No, you're not, you're not going to fix it while it's on the air right now because... You already said you spent a lot of time trying to do this right, and you obviously failed. And so let's let's not sit here through another failure. <laughs> you, like you can fix this later. Okay, but it's way better. Like, okay, I know I'm giving you a hard time. It's way better than than how you started. So the difference between the regular edition and the CGP Grey edition, from from the words of our designer, is your edition is a four icon grid at the top and a three icon grid at the bottom. Oh, that's a nice touch. That's mm-hmm. a very nice touch with the transparency for the dock. Oh, thank the designer for me. So Frank does great work, and he wanted to make sure that you had an addition that you may be happy with to use at some point. Uh, I will once again go back to the drawing board and uh, attempt to fix the, the grievous error that I have made because, mm-hmm. you know, that's 
Seems to be what I do now. Um, many, many people, Gray, wanted to know where your wallpaper came from. I think this was actually the most requested uh, thing. People want to know where your wallpaper is from. I don't remember where I found it originally. People want to know, Gray. They, you gotta got to tell the people. What my wallpaper actually is, is there's a, a style of art which is called low poly. Uh, which is a low, which is short for low uh, polygons. A kind of, it comes from the video game world basically, but it's a particular way of of simplifying an image. So the the, I did a whole bunch of searches for low poly artwork and eventually stumbled upon that one. I have uh, the the full document on my computer, but I don't know the original source of this because uh, I think this was the topic of one of the Hello Internet podcasts. But I spent a very long time trying to search for and find just the right iPhone background. So I, I will see if I can track down the original artist so we can put that link in and, and give them credit. I had a few people suggest, including Derek on Twitter, a segment for this show, which I really love the idea of and would like to convince you about this. Every week, you grade a listener's home screen. No, this is a terrible idea. No, this is a great idea. No, this, this is a terrible idea because... Because iPhones don't have a lot of degrees in in which they can be good or awful. There are ve- like there are very few things that you have to do right to make your iPhone screen acceptable. It's just that most people never think about it. Most people just start casually adding apps and picking a, a random wallpaper, and and they just they end up with something that looks horrible, not on purpose. But all of the horrible iPhones are are horrible in in similar ways, and. I don't think there is there is much room to expand on how a particular person's iPhone screen is particularly awful. They, you know, they're all just going to have the same thing: clown vomit backgrounds, or like a baby photo as the background, and a bunch of just apps with badges all over them. That's how iPhones are are bad. And the the way to make iPhones look good is to limit the number of apps that you have on your phone, and to select a wallpaper that works. A wallpaper has two jobs. It should be aesthetically pleasing, and it should ideally, at a minimum, not be distracting. But at best, it should show off the icons even better, which is why you generally want a dark background. You don't, you don't want your baby's face in, in a bright, sunlit area as the background of your phone. It just looks, it just looks awful. So that's, that's all there is to say about iPhone setups. There are people in the world that want to receive the criticism that I received. I don't know why, but but they do. I, I don't I don't know what to tell those people. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price of what you'll find in stores. For years, the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying super high prices, and Casper is here to revolutionize the industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that saving directly to the customer. A Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattresses are one of a kind. They have created a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. These two technologies come together for better nights and brighter days. Casper mattresses have just the right sink and just the right 
bounce. Usually, mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin-size mattress, $750 for a full-size, $850 for queen, and $950 for king, and all of Casper's mattresses are made in America. Casper understands that buying a mattress online can leave people wondering how this is possible. Well, buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Because obviously you don't go to a showroom and try it out, but that's a weird way to try out a bed anyway. You just kind of like just sit in there and all of your clothes with your shoes on. It doesn't make any sense. Casper offers free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. So you can put the mattress in your home, on your bed. You can sleep in it for 100 days, for up to 100 days and see if it's right for you. This is a risk-free experience. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that in all reality, you could be end up spending a third of your life on. I love Casper mattresses. They are sent in this crazy way. They come to you in a box, which you wouldn't think is possible, but it arrives in a box. You open the box, you take it out of the packaging, and the Casper mattress kind of just like comes to life. You hear it like, ah as it comes out again. It's really cool. Their mattresses are great quality. They're so comfortable to sleep on, but getting them out of that box is one of the very best things. Listeners of Cortex can get $50 off towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Cortex and using the code Cortex. Terms and conditions apply. See casper.com slash Cortex. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. What does your iPad home screen look like? Because we looked at your iPhone, right? So what, what, how does this differ? How do you set that up? I'll send you a screenshot. I don't have a screenshot to send you back right now. I actually just bought a new iPad. And I'm in the process of trying to get it set up still. You know? Like, I don't know where everything goes yet. I haven't worked out the placement. Um, I'm using the Cortex wallpaper. Mm. So we know that that bit's good. But now I'm, I'm still in the process of trying to work out where everything goes. So I'm looking for your inspiration now. Okay. It's shockingly different from my iPhone, as you will see when it when it comes through. Okay, still three gray. <laughs> what? Why? There are three icons in the dock because, as I explained last time, I want the dock to be the same on all of the devices that I use. Okay, okay, but this the, is very different. The the iPad actually, I think, is almost almost exactly the same as the iPhone. I have a dark background. It's actually the exact same background. It's just a, a bigger section of it. I have the same three icons in the dock, Notes, Launch, and OmniFocus. And then I, I have many of the same apps in the same locations on my iPad. This, it's a little bit different because my iPad is arranged much more as a work device. So yeah. I have some things on there like Omni Outliner and Numbers and Evernote that I don't have uh, immediately accessible on my phone. But it's it's very similar, actually, my iPad setup. There, there seems to be a lot less apps, though. You have one folder here. So there seems to be less than there is on your phone. Unless there's like a thousand apps in that folder. Yeah, there are a ton of apps in that folder. There are probably less apps on my iPad than on my iPhone. But yeah. uh, there's, there's just a ton of stuff that's shoved in there. Uh, in that folder. But the only reason that one folder is there is because there are more icons that I want on the iPad, but I still I still do want to have a one-page mm-hmm. setup, which I realized, ooh, I can do if I have a centered folder and just shove everything in there. So this is, this is the way my iPad looks now. I have to say, I really like the centered folder. I think I'm going to be stealing that. You're going to steal my centered folder? Uh-huh. That looks mm-hmm. nice. Well, I mean, like, so you're missing your health folder and your London folder and your other folder, which are on your iPhone. So I assume things like health and London probably aren't in there, right? Because that's, like, stuff that is to be out and about with, which 
the iPad is, I guess, not used as much in that regard as like tracking things and finding your way around. The London folder from my iPhone is a bit of a cheat because I'm actually using that as a like a maps, transit, local stuff folder, plus rarely used apps that I use for travel just in general. So it's really like a places folder is, yeah. is what that is. And then, yes, of course, the health app is because, well, the health app or the health folder is there because the health app is only on the iphone and there's a bunch of things that are related to health that are only on the iphone so so yeah the 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 two different devices serve two different purposes which is why their setups are slightly different but the the iphone is much more of a general purpose device and the ipad is very clearly a work device and uh, that's why the anything that is different it can boil down to that reason so i feel myself with my phone getting closer to the one page method Mm -hmm. because I don't know where anything is anymore so I'm searching more and if I'm searching more it doesn't matter where things live that's exactly right that's why you can have one page is it simplifies in your mind what you do when you're looking for an app I can either see the app or I'm going to search for the app end of story there are no other options that's all you do that's the philosophy so I'm getting closer because I want that. I want it. You know, I look at that one page and I'm like, oh, that looks good. I'm mm-hmm. going to keep my iPad to one page because, you know, that, that feels like a great thing to do. Um, I can keep it all on one page because I, I plan, like you, to have less on my iPad than I have on my phone because mm-hmm. I'm going to try and keep this as a, as a work device as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have some uh, – some people were, were very perplexed with some of the decisions that you made about your iPhone home screen. For example, Sage on Twitter has asked, how can you have no browser on your phone home screen? How do you look at the internet, Gray? <laughs> I don't look at the internet on the phone. I have what? disabled in restrictions <laughs> the browser on my phone. Hang and on it, a minute. Right, here we go. Uh, what? <laughs> there's what? No, there, it's not even that the icon isn't there. It's that there is no Safari on my phone. How do you follow links? <laughs> you know what this is again? This is how do you tweet? Right? This is all you're asking me again. And the answer is that I, I don't. Oh, my. I don't. So let's say you're in London, you're out and about in the street, and you see something, and you're like, I need to look this up. Do you never look things up? Okay. Do we, do we, need, to, do we need to discuss... Do we need to discuss iPhone philosophy here for a moment, I guess? I think we're going to have to, yes. Okay. I guess what I'm going to try to do here is answer a bunch of questions and so we don't have to go through, why don't you have X on your phone? Yeah, because I have a lot of that. So <laughs> <laughs> we may as well just, just wrap it all up now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going, to try to give, I'm going to try to give an overview here of, uh-huh. of what's going on. And my philosophy is that I am, I am trying to reduce distractions on the iPhone and distractions I mean it in a very broad sense so there are the obvious distractions like the worst thing you could possibly do oh I have Twitter on my phone and it notifies me every time someone favorites a thing that I tweet right like that is just the worst possible scenario of I want this thing to vibrate every every time someone has sent me a tiny bit of internet love it's like oh you're just begging for non-actionable distraction all day long. So that, that, that's the absolute worst version of that that can be. But even if you have Twitter on your phone and you say, oh, I, I'm an enlightened person. I'm going to disable all notifications from Twitter because I don't, I don't need that 
there's nothing actionable here when someone retweets a thing that I've said. The problem is still the problem is still that you you can then self-generate a distraction. And that self-generated distraction is, ooh, I want to go look at what's on Twitter. I want to go check. The phone hasn't distracted you. You have distracted yourself with the option that is available. So that's that's why I don't want Twitter on my phone is because I am aware that when I had Twitter on my phone, Twitter became this this default go-to activity when there was two minutes of spare time at any moment in my life. So I was like, oh, I'm standing online. There's two people ahead of me, uh, you know, to get to the the self-checkout machines. Well, I have 30 seconds. I might as well open up Twitter and, and see what's going on. And I don't like that kind of activity. I don't think that kind of behavior is is helpful. And I also think it creates some bad habits in your brain. It creates some bad reinforcement loops of never allowing your brain to be bored at any moment. I actually think that being bored is is like good for brain health. And there are ways in which I, I try to encourage that a little bit. And so not having Twitter as a kind of distraction on the phone, not even having the option to look because it's just simply not installed, is one one version of this. And that applies for lots of apps. Now, the browser seems kind of crazy to not have on there. Whilst I don't feel the same as you do, Mm -hmm. I understand the Twitter argument, Mm -hmm. right? Because... That is just, you're just not going to bring that in there. But the browser is so, it feels so important to the device. Like, it was one of the three pillars when Steve Jobs introduced it. Like, the breakthrough internet communication device. And they had the browser, and that was what they were talking about. So having an iPhone without a browser is a very a very interesting uh, decision to make. Well, my iPhone is still an internet communicator. It just doesn't use the browser. The browser is simply one one window through which to view the internet. But I can still look up restaurants and directions and other kinds of things that I might need while I'm wandering around the city. And I don't need the browser to do that. Like I can I can see when is the post office open without having to open up a browser. How? Well, you can you can search for it, for example, on Google Maps, or you can search for it on Yelp, and then it will list. Oh, here's the here's the menu for this restaurant, or here here are the opening hours. Turning off the browser was an interesting decision because I thought, ooh, this might not work out. This might not be a practical thing to do. But having done it for a while, it's it's again a case of oh, I can get by without this, and if there is any way that I can reduce options or potential distractions for myself, I am very happy to do that. And so it turns out that I almost never need the browser on my phone. And so since the browser is also another potential portal of distraction, like, oh, let, let me go to some website to check what's going on. I would rather not have that on my phone, which again is just in my pocket all the time available for, for distraction. So I, uh, I disabled it and it, I'm totally fine without it. Now, the, the funny thing here is that I, of course, I do know the code to enable the browser. And every once in a while, there are scenarios under which, like, you know what, I do need the browser on my phone right now. And so if I ever absolutely need to get it, I can re-enable it. Uh, And I do that on occasion. 
but 95% of the time the, the browser just isn't even installed on my phone. And I want to take away the option for me to mindlessly just search for Safari, open up a browser, and you know just start looking around on the internet. Do you have a browser on your iPad? I can't see it. Uh, yes, the browser is on my iPad, uh, but it is it is Hidden away. shuffled away many, many pages away on that work folder. Because I can see what you're saying. <laughs> I hear a huge butt coming. I'll get to that in a minute. But like, if you would have said you didn't have it on the iPad, I would have just, I wouldn't have been able to accept that. Because that just is crazy. Um, it's, that's just so, I mean, I hear the things that you say to me. And it's <laughs> I hear like, the words that you're speaking. <laughs> it, it makes sense in what you're saying. I can I can hear what you're saying. It's like, okay, that makes sense. So great. I couldn't do that because that would just break so many things in the way that, that I do stuff because mm-hmm. I do a lot of browsing on my phone. Mm-hmm. And, and what I hear when is that is you are, and I knew this about you, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this stuff is that you make very strict restrictions in your life to enable you to do the work that you do. And clearly, you know that if you have the ability to just surf the internet on your phone all day, that's all you'll do. That's actually not true, right? This is, when I talk to people, I have a very hard time conveying why I make this decision. Okay. And it's actually not that, oh, if I did have the browser on there, I would surf all day because I had the browser on my iPhone for the vast majority of time that I've had an iPhone. I think I probably, I probably only turned off the browser in the last year or so. So it wasn't as though, oh, I have some kind of problem with the browser that I'm I am trying to remove. But that's that's always the conclusion that people draw. It's this much more comes out of a whole field of, of cognitive science, which has demonstrated that if you have options, even if you don't exercise those options, it is a drag on your brain. And I have found this to be very interesting that under circumstances where I can limit options, even if they are not options that I would exercise, it feels clearer. It feels cleaner. And so the the functions of my phone are very clear in my mind of what am I going to do on this device, as opposed to something like the browser, which turns it into a, a much more expansive device. And you know what? Anything I need to do on the internet, I can take out my iPad and do it on the internet if I need to, or I can do it from my desktop computer at home. But I don't need to do whatever that is the instant that it pops into my head anywhere I am, wherever I have my phone. It's not like, oh, I would just be browsing all day long if I had the browser on my phone, because I have the browser on my computer. I have the browser on my iPad. If that was the problem, I'd have a really big problem. It's it's much more about limiting options to places where they're, they're, those options are just necessary. So it's necessary to have the browser on my iPad because it's a necessary part of my workflow on my iPad. I couldn't do half of the research I do without a web browser. But on my iPhone, I, I don't do that kind of research work on my iPhone. And the other things that a browser would enable me to get access to I have other ways of getting on the phone so I don't really need it there so I might as well get rid of it if I don't really need it does that make sense do you believe me again I can understand what you're saying 
and, and this, like, I can see how this makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. It just, I just don't think it would make sense for me. Mm. But I, I hear the words that you say, and they make sense in my brain. Mm-hmm. But I, that is me detaching myself from that. I'm not applying my my own ways of working to that. Because I think I think for me it would make it harder for me to do my work. Mm-hmm. But I hear the way that you work, and I can see how it makes it actually better for you, and it, and it improves your life in that way. So doing this changes the nature of my phone in some ways because it not having the browser, which could be absolutely anything, then it affects my conscious decisions about the apps that are on my phone. And so when I remove the browser, then I'm much more likely to do something like, oh, read the, read the uh, articles that are in my Instapaper queue if I'm sitting down for a moment and I, I'm taking like a little break. So it, it is also directing myself towards activities that I would rather do. I would rather read an article that I have purposefully saved in Instapaper then browse the internet if I'm taking a, a 10 minute break. That's a, I think that's a better behavior to do. It's not a big deal, but I think places where you can push yourself a little bit one way or the other, it's, it's helpful to do that. So do you, uh, I'm going to assume that you also do not look at Reddit on your phone? I can't look at Reddit because I don't have a browser. And if I don't have Twitter installed on my phone, I certainly don't have something like Alien Blue installed on my phone. Okay. So there, there is no Reddit on my phone. I will, to be clear, I want to make a, a little bit of an exception to that, which is usually the 24 hours after I have put up a video, most of the time I will temporarily install Twitter and Alien Blue on my phone because I want to keep an eye on how is the yep. video going. It's like and- War Room. So this, I actually want that. That is something I want to talk about on the next episode, which is not only the time leading up but i know that you go so as i've listened to your stuff to like hell of internet for a long time like i know that you go into like a different mode once you post yeah and, I, and i'm interested to hear what that is so that yeah we, we can talk about that next time but but the thing that it does relate to today is this is the other reason why i very much like to have the extra rows on the bottom of my phone and on the ah. bottom of my ipad because it allows the temporary edition of apps that are that they don't get to live there permanently and, and even then, I, I find it helpful that if I put Twitter and Alien Blue on my phone the 24 hours after a video, well, now the phone is all asymmetrical. There's two apps just hanging off of the bottom, and I don't like that at all. And it's a reminder that like, you don't really want these things on your phone. They're just here temporarily while you want to keep on top of a situation, but you're going to delete these as soon as that situation is over and then get back to the pleasing state of your phone. This is a, a temporary addition. And uh, on occasion when I'm traveling or something, also having that bottom row for uh, travel-related apps is handy. Uh, so you don't have to rearrange your entire iPhone screen. That is that is one of the main benefits of the space on the bottom. Alien Blue is one of the most confusing apps I've ever used. Along with the rest of Reddit, which I'm trying to get to grips with, now that we post this you know you post the show on reddit i've been there and i've been trying to interact i find all of reddit confusing i find alien blue extremely confusing <laughs> like the way the ui works in the application is it's like a mystery to me yeah their, their last ui change was not for the better I like would say. when you press buttons and then there's like this diagonally scrolling list of settings it's like i don't even understand you <laughs> 
It was not a good decision, Alien Blue. That was not a good decision. Talking about Reddit, we have received questions on Reddit as well as mm-hmm. on the Ask Gray uh, hashtag for Twitter. Mm-hmm. One of those uh, came from Conrad, and Conrad asks a question, again, that many people have asked, which is, Gray, why don't you jailbreak your phone? Now, before you say, the reason that many people say this is it will, they, they believe would fix some of the complaints and issues that you have. Like, for example, it would allow you to install uh, apps that or extensions that allow you to change the color of your phone. There's one called Flux, which you probably mm-hmm. use on your Mac, I reckon. Yeah, I use Flux on my Mac. Yep, which allows you to change like the temperature of the screen, basically, like the color temperature. It allows you to make it nice and warmer at night so it's better on your eyes, so it's not so harsh. You could have system-wide dark mode. You could put blank icons. You could move your screen around. You could hide the text beneath the icons. All of the things that you complained about in episode one. Mm-hmm. But Conrad says, you must have a good reason why you do not jailbreak what is it (laughs) i i I appreciate that he's giving me the benefit of the doubt there for having a good reason people know how you think gray (laughs) the the usual case on the internet is people just yell at you for being stupid for not doing things the way they do it as opposed to thinking oh maybe they have a reason so thank you for presuming that i have a reason uh there there are a few reasons, but I would say the the primary one is that the way jailbreaking works is that it's a it's a security exploit. Apple Apple doesn't want jailbroken phones and and the very fact that you can jailbreak phones is is not something Apple lets you do on purpose. you you have to crack through the security of the phone in order to accomplish that. And so you have put the phone in a in a weaker security state than it otherwise would be, because now you're also installing jailbroken apps. And I don't want to have an argument about how much less secure it is, because people say, oh, it's only a tiny bit less secure. I, I am not willing to make that trade-off with something like my Apple devices for... I I know that I can fix a lot of the little nitpicky things that bother me with jailbreaking. I am very aware of that. People tell me about it all the time on Twitter. But I'm not going to make the trade-off of any decrease in security to fix what are basically nitpicking things that bother me. That that is really why primarily I don't jailbreak the phone. That was the the reason that I assumed. It's the reason I don't do it. I don't want to... Un- open myself to any vulnerabilities. It's just not something that I want to do. Because yeah. these these systems and the apps and stuff, they're coming from people that I don't know. I don't know if I can trust them. But like with Apple stuff, it doesn't matter if I feel like I can trust app developers because they have to go through Apple's system, which I do trust. Well, with, with trust, this is why I don't want to argue about how much more insecure it is. Because with the current state, I have to trust Apple and Apple's system. But if I'm jailbreaking it, okay, I ha- already have to trust Apple and Apple system, but now I have to trust the person who's written the jailbreaking code, and I have to trust the individuals who are also writing the software that I'm installing on my phone. And even if even if the, the probability of a security uh, exploit of some sort is only raised by 0.005% over the course of a year, I'm not willing to make that that trade-off to hide the words underneath my app icons. And that's partly because my phone 
and the whole iOS ecosystem are, are so connected with lots of things that are hugely important to me. And, and that's why it's like, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do this. It's not going to happen. So you are a man in the public eye. Um, by being that, you, you raise the probability of somebody trying to target you. And that, you, know, you, you don't want to open yourself up to stuff like that, I guess. Let's just say that, that yes, as a, as a person who makes videos and things that are seen by millions of people, I am not, I'm not going to do anything to decrease the security of, of my system. Brendan on Twitter would like to know what case you use on your iPhone. I I do not have a case case on my iPhone. I use a skin on my iPhone. So this was, uh, this I originally saw recommended by MKBHD on YouTube, which was a thing that I thought I would never like, but it turns out I really do like, which is just, uh, it's almost like a piece of, of grippy plastic that's maybe, you know, a a quarter of a millimeter thick that attaches to the back of your phone. And it doesn't really serve to protect your phone except from very minor scratches. The primary thing it does is it just makes the phone a little bit grippier. So this is, uh, again, this is from dbrand, and I have a black one on the back of my phone. And I highly, highly recommend it because I really don't like every single case I have ever seen or used on an iPhone. They're all just they're all just awful. So I uh, this is what I use instead. And you're not worried about what happens if you drop it cuz no additional protection is added to the phone by just sticking some grippy plastic on the back. Yeah, I mean if I drop it, I drop it. This is what Apple Care protection is for. You have Apple Care, right? Okay, that makes sense then. So I, I'm not I'm not very worried about dropping it and really the 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 chance of dropping it is greatly decreased with the additional grippiness of it because, uh, I mean, I've complained about it before. I'm not a huge fan of the iPhone 6 design generation. And one of the things is making all the, the corners rounded and the back just perfectly smooth has seemed to have made it just way more likely that I was going to drop the phone. And so this, this, little, this little case has decreased that a great deal. So I, I don't really worry about dropping the phone. Chris uh, was interested, and, and I I don't know why I didn't consider this, but considering you have a fleet of iPads, which we have established from a previous episode. You know, fleet is, is just a provocative word there. Remind the listeners how many iPads you have in current use, Gray. I don't have time to count them right now. I mean, like, we know at least there is one in each bag and one in the office, right? So they are in use, because like, you, you, know, you mentioned you have... Uh, the iPad for the white noise machine and that kind of We thing. don't need to do this again, Mike. <laughs> oh, no, I really want to. Uh, I like to just remind people how many iPads you have that are in use. So let's say that there are three that are used frequently. Yeah, it is fair to say that there are three in frequent use. That's, that's fair. How do you keep them in sync? Because obviously a change in app placement would drive you crazy if something was different, if it had moved. Mm-hmm. The data that is in the devices, you need to be everywhere so you can just put down one iPad and walk to the next room and pick up your next iPad. Yeah, that, that's that's how that works. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you have enough. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe you have like the bathroom iPad, the one behind the door, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. They're just like hanging around. You trip over one sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you make sure that all of those devices stay in sync? Like, if you, if you download one, do you have to get them all out and download it to the other, like a little app or something? How does that work for you? Uh, well, w- one of the ways it works is that it frequently doesn't. 
that <laughs> okay. that stuff is just not is not synchronized. And things that drive me crazy are apps that feel like they should synchronize, but don't. And I'm gonna call out I'm gonna call out two that in particular drive me crazy with this. I'm looking at you, Launch Center Pro, and I'm looking at you, workflows. Workflows is the worst for this. I know they are building a sync process because Launch Center Pro, we're going to talk about Launch Center Pro in a bit. Don't worry, many people have asked about that as well. Mm-hmm. They have a system of like taking the current thing, uploading it to Dropbox as a backup, and then you can download it somewhere else. It doesn't happen automatically, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. But currently, Workflow has no system of syncing. <laughs> Workflows, they have just they have just left you in the woods without any tools to fend for yourself. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck with all your actions there. And if they could turn off making me go through that tutorial when I put it on a new device, oh. that would be really great, guys. You know what? <laughs> a skip button. A skip button would go a long way to me using your app more. I did that like yesterday. I was like, really? Do I have to make this GIF action again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you done that? <laughs> yeah, I've done that a lot of times. I've done that a lot of times. Thanks, Workflow, guys. You make an amazing app that I still can't believe Apple allows in the store. But... Boy does, boy, does that hurt. For people, for, for the listeners who are unaware, Workflows is it's very impressive, but it is basically a iOS automation app. It allows you to, like Automator on the Mac, build little, build little workflows of, oh, when I press this button, I want these six actions to happen. It's very, very handy, but I can honestly say that I use it much less than I otherwise would because of the pain and the buttness of trying to, to keep things <laughs> synchronized. And yeah, at least with... At least with Launch Center Pro, there's a there's a way to kind of manually synchronize every time you make a change. But uh, yes, apps that don't build in synchronization are are they have to be really good for me to want to stick with them because synchronization is is very important to me. Pain in the buttness is my new favorite phrase. Oh yeah, yeah, I love that. I've never heard that before. I'm glad you like that. But there are other apps where I. I honestly just can't believe it even works. I must be the edgiest of edge cases of anybody who uses OmniFocus. <laughs> the number of places and devices that I have OmniFocus installed on various computers, it amazes me that I haven't had some kind of catastrophic synchronization disaster yet with OmniFocus because that's just installed everywhere. It's on the computers, it's on my iPhone, it's on the iPads. Their their system is very good, so I'm always impressed that OmniFocus is able to to keep everything together. Because I certainly run into enough apps that that just don't, or that that really fall down with synchronization problems. Uh, for like, oh, by synchronized, did you mean we want to triplicate everything that you have in this system? Sure, we're going to go right ahead because we want to make sure there's never any data loss. It's like, oh, great. Great, thanks a lot, guys. The short answer is oftentimes it doesn't work. There's nothing I can do about it. This episode of Cortex is also brought to you by Igloo, the internet you will actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk doing your work whilst looking at a horrible-looking internet. Igloo makes sure that your internet's going to look fantastic and it actually will feel like a place that you will want to be in. It's surprisingly configurable. You can completely rebrand it to give it the look and feel of your team. You can fly the company flag and change it to the company colors right within your Igloo. 
Thanks to their group spaces feature and role-based access permissions with an easy drag and drop widget editor, you can reorganize the whole platform to fit exactly how each of the teams work in your company. With Igloo, you're able to work wherever you want. You can manage your task list when you're on your laptop during a meeting. You can share status updates from your phone as you're on the way out the door on Friday for the weekend. And you can access the latest version of a file from home if you just didn't want to go into the office today. These days, everybody's mobile, everything is mobile, and your work should be too. But with our mobile lives, sometimes we have documents all over the place. We have them in Box, we have them in Dropbox, we have them in Google Drive all around. This can cause a couple of problems. Sometimes people don't get access to the files that they need or they're using wrong versions. Or sometimes you can have secure data being taken off site, which is never a good idea. But if you use Igloo, this is no problem. They allow you to integrate services like Box, Google Drive and Dropbox into their one big, easy to secure, easy to manage system. If you know terms like 256-bit encryption, single sign-on and Active Directory integrations, then you'll know just how safe and secure Igloo is. It's now time to break away from the internet that you can't stand to look at anymore. Go and sign up for Igloo right now and you can try it for free with any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. So if your team or company has less than 10 people, you can just try it out. You can use it for free for as long as you want. There's no restrictions. So go sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash cortex. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting this show and helping us out here at Relay FM. Talking about OmniFocus. Hmm? They were a sponsor of last week's episode, and you know we know that you use them, and I use them, and we love them. And maybe, and, and I'm sure as this series, this series continues, we will continue to talk about OmniFocus in different ways. Mm-hmm. But something incredible happens, and I don't know if you've seen this. So on the Reddit, uh, barely anonymous found and also with the, the oh yes yes i saw this with the help of a uh, giggling pancreas I, this is great reddit names by the way amazing uh found a post in the omni group forum mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. cgp gray mm-hmm. saying i'm considering switching to OmniFocus, but there is one question i have difficulty finding an answer to uh, how to make repeating checklists mm-hmm. my situation is that i make videos for youtube and currently have a checklist of about 50 actions needed for each one <laughs> And I'm usually working on three to five videos at a time. Is there any way when I decide to make a new video that I can create it as a new product project in OmniFocus with all 50 actions already in the list? This was in 2012. Mm-hmm. Mr. CGB Gray asked this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is, a, there is a big thread here, which will be in the show notes this week, with you going through and talking to people about this. Now, we obviously now know that you have the ability to do this, and we're going to talk about that next week. But this was so magical to me to find this, <laughs> of, of CGP Grey finding his way uh, in the productivity world. I was so happy, so, so happy to see this. I, I, remember, wh- I remember when I was considering switching to OmniFocus, because it was a big deal. I was using Remember the Milk before OmniFocus for a lot of things, uh, and I really liked that program. But it did not, I ran into the issue, and this is this is the thing I have discussed before, but I ran into this problem of, uh, do you know what, does it say what month that was published? This was published on, I assume this is the 5th of April. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So that, that, w- that would have been right around the time that I was moving to do YouTube full time then, if I have my, if I have my mental timeline correct. And... That was when I was becoming aware of uh, I need to use a system that has a much better notion of projects as an object. And 
I don't know what remember remember the milk is like now because I haven't used it in years. But at the time, remember the milk didn't have a like a inbuilt notion of a project. It just had actions. It was just a list of things. And I was aware that this was starting to fall down for me now that I I had these YouTube videos, which I needed projects as a thing. And so that's one of the reasons I was originally looking at OmniFocus. And then yes, trying to figure out oh how can I do repeated lists because there were very easy ways in Remember the Milk to do that, and I couldn't figure out how to do it in OmniFocus. But yeah, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big deal when you decide, oh, I'm really going to switch applications, and uh, I, remember, I remember doing that. It's a big moment. It's a piece of history. It is. It really is. It really is a piece <laughs> of history. Patrick asked, now that you have retired the Fitbit, now I'm assuming that he's making this assumption because you use the Apple Watch. You, you don't use the Fitbit anymore? You've, you've switched? Uh, he's probably saying that because I mentioned on uh, Hello Internet that I ditched the Fitbit. That, okay. that was a, a thing that I wasn't using anymore. So now that you've gotten rid of that, what is your waking up routine? Because uh, you know the Fitbit was a way that could it could tap you awake in its own beautiful little way. So how mm-hmm. do you deal with that now? Yeah, this is this is a problem that I have not adequately solved uh, at the moment. I'm going to go on a side tangent here. I'm going to hope for a moment. That someone who's very high up in the design of the Apple Watch is listening to this podcast right now. We're talking to you, Craig. <laughs> yeah. Like, Johnny, I want to make sure that you hear me because <laughs> I have a very particular thought about the iWatch. Uh-oh. You said it wrong, Gray. Oh, God. I, well, God damn it. <laughs> <sighs> this is staying in. <laughs> yeah. My iWatch running OS X. Is that right? Oh, there no. we go. Is that perfect for everybody? <laughs> this, is, this is going to be our little Apple diversion for a moment. But Apple is always obsessed with making things thinner, right? keeping the battery life the same and keeping things thinner. This is, this is Apple's MO. And I look at the Apple Watch, and I feel like we're at, a real, we're at a real crossroads here, and I want to see what happens with the next version because more than any other device... I think if they go for thinner without improving the battery life, I don't think that's a good sign. Because if I was in charge of the Apple Watch hardware design, this would be my goal to the team. I would say, here's what we want. We want the watch to be able to 100% of the time guaranteed last a full 24 hours so that a person can wear it while they are sleeping and that it should be able to charge in 30 minutes or less in the morning while the person is getting ready. So the goal is to change the user behavior with charging the watch. That instead you wake up, you put the watch on the charger, you do your morning routine, and then you grab it when you're on your way to work. That that's when it should charge. and should charge quickly in that window. Because I think the sleep tracking is a huge, huge health feature for the watch. But it's something that that we'll know they're not even thinking about and they're not even trying to approach if they just constantly push for the watch to be thinner and lighter and not improve the battery life. So what I want is I want my Apple Watch to be able to track my sleep and be able to do the thing that I used to have Fitbit do, which is to silently wake me but not disturb my wife in the morning. That, that's what I want out of Apple Watch. I don't want a thinner Apple Watch. I don't want a lighter Apple Watch. I want an Apple Watch that I can wear overnight and that can charge quickly in the morning. This is what I want. So right now, 
what's waking you up? Like, is it, do you have an alarm which is waking up everybody? I am using an app called Sleep Cycle. And Sleep Cycle is, its purpose is to be a sleep tracking app for your iPhone. And so I have a, a long lightning cable that I can plug my iPhone into. And so I'm supposed to put the iPhone underneath the top sheet of the bed and let it run sleep cycle all night. And it tries to track how awake it thinks I am by motion uh, and by the microphone, I think. Uh, And so it's trying to gauge how awake I am. And then I give it a window in which it can try to wake me in the morning. And it doesn't, it's not an alarm for uh, 6.30 in the morning. It's an an alarm range, which says, oh, between 6.30 and 7.00, the phone is going to vibrate to try to pick the time when it's it's best to wake me up. That's what I'm currently using. But it is suboptimal for a variety of reasons. One is which, even though it does sort of fine, I don't think it's great if you have two people in the bed because it can't be as accurate as a watch could be for tracking sleep. And secondly, the iPhone 6 Plus motor is loud. It is it's not a secret when your iPhone 6 Plus is vibrating. And so it can definitely disturb my wife in the morning, even though it's not making any noise. The The motor itself is just loud enough and the vibration is strong enough that it can wake up both of us instead of instead of just me. So the current charge time of the Apple Watch mm-hmm. um, is one and a half hours to 80%, two and a half hours to 100%. Mm-hmm. So I guess really what you would love to see is 30 minutes to 80%, for example. Yeah, this is a this is like a physics thing with batteries that people are not often aware of is is the fact that it charges faster when it's emptier. And so that's why I can I can see this can be achievable if they can increase very slightly the the rate of charge and they can also increase the battery capacity by simply by simply not making the watch smaller and instead taking advantage of the the much slower but still increase in battery technology over time like you can increase battery capacity and if you can increase the charge rate i can imagine that they could get a watch that would have enough battery capacity and could charge to 80 percent in 30 minutes because then you could wear it overnight it could track your sleep it could wake you up in the morning then you go take a shower and it's charging right that that's that is that is what i would want out of the apple watch and i think the sleep tracking feature is is a big enough health thing that it's important for apple to to go for because once they start tracking a whole bunch of data, you can then start making comparisons on the iPhone about what affects your sleep. How, how does your activity during the day affect your sleep? And I, I think sleep is a, enough of an issue for enough people that it could be a really great selling feature of, of we're going to try to have the Apple Watch help you with your sleep. I think that that could be a really big deal. Let's talk about Launch Center Pro. This was something I didn't expect the amount of people um, to question this as they did, but many, many people uh, want to know about why you use it, what it is, what's in there. You know how I would describe it? It's a button that you can press that brings up basically a second home screen that you can fill with customizable buttons to do things. People wanted to know basically if I was cheating by having my iPhone look so clean because there's actually a huge mess that's hidden under Launch Center Pro of like a second screen of of applications that are launched. And I do have a few applications that I launched from one from uh, Launch Center Pro. I have jury rigged Launch Center Pro to be a custom 
time tracking app for myself. So when I open up Launch Center Pro, I have a bunch of icons that represent the various kinds of work that I do. Can you show me this? Can I see this? I will show this to you, but I don't actually want this to go in the regular show. So you don't want this image here to go into the show notes? I don't for a variety of reasons I don't want to get into right now. Okay. <laughs> but but so you can see it, so you can you can see. Even though I know that it sounds like I'm a crazy person because I don't want this image to go in there. Because it doesn't it's... say anything. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, but it's there's a way in which this is sort of a trade secret, but... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, you have to take my word on that. I'm going to have to, I think. <laughs> oh no, he uses an envelope icon. <laughs> yeah, you can leave this discussion in the show if you want. I don't want the uh, the actual image of the icons, which means nothing to almost anybody to go into the show. Um, but so, but so anyway, when I opened up Launch Center Pro, I, I have a, a, a basically about six icons that represent different kinds of work that I do. And when I press those buttons, I have set it up so that Launch Center Pro through Dropbox automatically adds a row to a spreadsheet that's on my computer that basically logs the time that I have spent on these various activities. Wow. So this is this is 99.9% of my Launch Center Pro use. I use it for a couple of other things, but the reason that it is on my dock is because it is a customized to me time tracker. That's what I use Launch Center Pro for. So do you trigger it to begin and trigger it to end? No, no, okay. So this is we'll get, this is a little bit of my 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 workflow. But I mentioned on uh, the earlier episode that I use do and the timers all day long. And so what, what is happening with me is that I work in blocks of 40 minutes. Uh, and I think of that as a unit of time in my head. So I set on do a timer for 40 minutes and I'm working on a particular area of work. I don't like to mix different areas. So if I'm working on YouTube stuff, I'm just going to work on YouTube stuff for 40 minutes. When the timer goes off, I do two things like I, I will reset the timer if I want to do another unit and I also then quickly just open launch center pro and mark that yes I have completed one unit of time's worth of work on this on this activity so you log this once it's completed not when it's beginning that's exactly right right now I understand yeah okay what, because, of course, what can happen is occasionally something comes up and a, and a unit of work doesn't actually get completed. And I'm really, really strict about this, that if I if I don't feel like, oh, I actually did a full unit's worth of work, I do not log that time. So my, under, my assumption of this is those spreadsheets become charts and that allow you to see how your time is spent. So you're able to work out if you spent your time correctly. Yeah, basically, this feeds into a spreadsheet that allows me to see, one, how much time I'm working on various projects of mine. And and secondly, this is a thing that I think is really, really important for people who are self-employed. This spreadsheet also then calculates my hourly rate overall and my hourly rate for particular kinds of work. Basically, how much do I earn per hour on different tasks? This is something that I want us to come back to later. Okay. <laughs> Simply because I'm like, 
hmm, I should probably have something like this. Well, I there are many, many people who are self-employed that I try to convince to do a system like this because it is really useful. If you want to have a bigger conversation about this later, I think that is that is a, a long conversation. But that is that is the purpose that Launch Center Pro serves for me. It tracks my time, and then that time gets fed into one other system that is part of my overall decision-making algorithm system. See, this was not what I expected for your Launch Center Pro use. Yeah? What did you think I did? Uh, I assumed that you probably used it like many people do to launch apps and to have little custom things that fire off little workflows and stuff like that. Yeah, there's nothing else on here that's really of note, and I hardly ever use the other things that are on there anyway. So yeah, this this is basically all I use it for. So what do you use Launch Center Pro for? I have a similar kind of idea to you in that I have a bunch of actions in here that get used like 0.01% of the time. 99% of my usage of Launch Center Pro is a launcher for different Google Docs. Mm -hmm. So what I have in here is I have a button that I press called Google Drive, which then opens another view, which has a bunch of icons. I have all of the icons for our shows, so it can take me into the document that I keep for each of our shows, like to do our outline and our rundown, so I can go into mm -hmm. those quite quickly. I have a button that takes me to our calendar, our sponsorship calendar that we hold, mm -hmm. um, and our tracking spreadsheet at Relay, so I know like where the money is and that kind of stuff. And then I can also have a button to just open Google Drive. And that's because the Google Drive apps on iOS are a nightmare. Because yes. there, you, to to have uh to to look at a Google Drive document like a just a, a like a Docs thing like a Word document they are basically you mm -hmm. have to have two apps installed you have to have the Google Drive app and then the Google Docs app so you can have one but then if you want to get to your file structure you have to have the Drive app it's a nightmare so you have to have the Drive app to get to the file structure and then a Docs app to actually open the file right so you you are I mean. I hate the Google Drive apps as well, which is why I basically don't use them and why I didn't even want to use them for this show. But you are using Launch Center Pro as a way to make Google Docs more quickly accessible to you because you can link to the exact yep. page and have it open up. So what happens is I, I use Launch Center Pro. I open the... I click on the icon for the document, then two apps open, right? So right. <laughs> it goes yeah. through yeah, Google it opens, Drive. Yeah, Safari, and then Safari kicks you over to Google Docs or whatever. Yeah. So it's, you know... It's an annoying way, but it helps me use those applications because I use Google Drive for so much stuff. Trying to use their apps is a nightmare, and Launch Center Pro enables me to get to those documents really quickly. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I use it for. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that we both don't use it for its like core thing, but we have something that we do with it that makes it super useful to us. Launch Center Pro ostensibly is just to have a place to quickly launch apps. But I think if you're nerdy enough to know that Launch Center Pro is a thing that you want to use, you probably are also the same kind of person who's going to figure out some way to customize it to you. Uh, I would bet that not very many people actually just use it as an additional app launcher. I bet most people who end up sticking with it do so because they have found a thing that's like, oh, yes, this allows me to do X. Because it's, because it's nerds using this. It's not normal people using this. Redman86 on Reddit uh, would like to know why we use Overcast. We both use Overcast to listen to podcasts. Um, he said, or she said, that they've heard us, they've heard you talk about it a bunch of times. It's on my home screen as well. What do you find the appeal for Overcast to be over other applications to listen to podcasts on iOS? 
the killer feature for me in Overcast is the smart speed, where when you're listening to a podcast, Overcast will automatically cut out a bunch of the gaps when nobody is speaking. It's not making the podcast faster. It's not playing it back 50% faster. It's just cutting out the places where no one was talking. And you, it's very good because it doesn't change the pitch of the speakers and it just makes the podcast go along a little bit faster. So I can see in the stats that basically I get through podcasts 10 to 20% faster with smart speed on without having any of the, the negative side effects that you would in different apps for just simply cranking up the speed by 10 or 20%. That, that's the primary reason why I use it. The main disadvantage of Overcast is that now when I listen to audiobooks on Audible, the pauses in the audiobooks feel like they take a thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I want to be able to shove all of my audiobooks into Overcast because I, I now have a very low tolerance for pauses in spoken material. And for some reason, audiobook narrators have way longer pauses than any normal person would when they're reading something out loud. So that, that's why I use Overcast primarily. That is 100% my reason as well. I love Smart Speed, I think it's fantastic. Um, I like the way that the app looks and works and stuff like that, but smart speed is my jam. That's what I love it for because I don't like listening to shows at faster speeds because it sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and smart speed can sometimes make some things sound weird like music, right? If there's music in shows, sometimes it speeds up the music a little bit. But the the I love smart speed for the fact that it helps me get through my podcasts faster without distorting them. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I love it for, and that's why I use it as well. This episode of Cortex is also brought to you by Field Notes. Field Notes are fantastic notebooks that I love and use every single day. I love to be able to write things down. I write down lists of stuff that I need to do. I write down ideas. I write down notes when we record these shows, and I write them all down in Field Notes notebooks. I have been a subscriber and huge fan of theirs for years. I am a very happy color subscriber. Now, a color subscriber of Field Notes notebooks means that you will receive every year they're four limited editions sent directly to you. Now, Field Notes limited editions are fantastic. They take a lot of care and a lot of love to create really inventive and interestingly designed notebooks that just have so much character to them. They just make you want to use them every day because they're really fun. They're really awesome. They're really beautifully designed. Field Notes notebooks are the perfect size to pop in your bag, your car, by the side of your computer, whatever you need a notebook for, they're there for you. They're nice and small, they're nice and durable, they wear really greatly as well, so the longer and more that you use them, even more fantastic they look. Field Notes' most recent edition for the summer is called the Workshop Companion Edition. It features a set of six books and a custom sleeve of a set of stickers as well. Each book is themed to a common project to be done around the house, like electrical work, plumbing, painting, gardening, automotive, and woodworking. And if you're a Field Notes color subscriber, you'll also receive a Workshop Reminder Magnet as well. You can find out more about the Workshop Edition over at fieldnotesbrand.com workshop. You can buy them individually if you want, but I really think that you should be signing up for a color subscription which means that you're going to get these great notebooks delivered directly to you 
four times a year. And if you do buy a year-long color subscription, starting with the Workshop Companion, and use the code RELAY at checkout, you will get yourself three carpets of pencils and a three-pack of pitch black memo books as well for free. But you want to hurry because when these things sell out, they're gone. They don't bring them back. They're limited edition. So don't delay. Go and check them out right now. Field notes. I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. So one other question that I've had a bunch of people ask, and I think I'm struggling to understand the reason why. So Scoven1997 on Reddit asked, who edits this podcast? And many people were like very confused about, one, that this show even exists in the first place because they're interested about you know the fact that you found the time for it which i really appreciate um but many people were asking if you who gets the final edit now this feels like something in the canon that i am missing i think people are are mostly just asking because i often it is very well known that i am the person who does the final edit and and really all of the editing on on hello internet and hello internet editing takes up a lot of time I, I spend a lot of time editing that show so i think that and people are aware of that i think that's why they're asking but our current arrangement is one of the only reasons that i could even agree to do this podcast with you was that you are taking on the vast vast majority of the work of this the agreement was that i can show up and i can talk but you are handling all of the ad stuff, you're handling all of all of the infrastructure requirements, you're handling the uploading, you're handling uh, essentially all of the editing, and I am not taking that on because if I had to do that half of it, I simply couldn't agree to to do another podcast. There's no way, there's no way it would it would work. But what we do have uh, right now is the agreement that I. I will get to listen to it before it goes live. And on the last two shows, I have made some minor edits, but I really don't want to edit it very much at all. Uh, ideally, I, I shouldn't be editing at all, but I do want to listen to it before it goes goes live. So I guess I have, in theory, like final editorial say that if I want to cut something, uh, you'll cut it. But um, you are doing 95% of, of the work. I am just showing up and talking to you for a little while on the afternoons. I wanted to round out today's show with a little discussion about some current event things. So this is maybe something that I will bring in every now and then. I wanted to talk about some stuff that's happening right now in technology mm -hmm. that uh, I think will impact the way that you work. And I'm interested to see today how you feel about it. So we are recording this episode um, on the 17th of June. 2015. And last week, um, Apple, which is the company that you hold many products for, and you are well within their ecosystem, as we have discussed, to the upset of many, they had their Worldwide Developers Conference where they unveiled iOS 9, so the mm -hmm. latest updates to the iOS operating system. And one of those came many advancements for the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, like multitasking, where you'll be able to have split-screen applications, and they've added new uh, effects for the keyboard in that you can move the cursor around and stuff like that. Have you taken a look at this? Have you had the in you know have you had the inclination to want to play around with it yourself? And do you think that this kind of setup is going to affect your work in a positive or negative way? Well, once again, anyone who follows me on Twitter had to suffer through my live tweeting of the WWDC 2015. Uh, so I have definitely have a keen interest in in watching those because, again, that the, the iPad is my 
primary computer in many ways. And so, yes, I, I want to very much see any changes that they are they are going to make. And this this one, I was particularly pleased to see the way that they are the way are they improving iOS nine. And the main one that will affect me is the multitasking to be able to have two apps on the screen side by side. That I am extremely interested in trying out and seeing how that works because right now I'm I, I tend to do a kind of funny thing with my scripts where the the scripts are are a single text document, but I'm very often mixing research that I've done with the script, mainly because since I'm always working on the iPad, I want to be able to see it all in one place. And so I will I will paste uh, pieces of research into my script and kind of bracket it off so I know, like, you didn't write this. This is from somewhere else. Uh, and keep rearranging those and, and put pieces of the script below it. And then as time goes on, I end up deleting the research out because I don't need it anymore, because it's not relevant or whatever. And that has partly developed because on iOS there is this limitation of I can only see one screen and I want to be able to see the research and the script at the same time. And so the idea of being able to have uh, my notes on one side of the screen and the script on the other is like mind-blowing. Like, wow, this is going to radically change the way that I work. So I, I am... I am extremely interested in in trying this out. I've signed up to be part of the public beta program, so hopefully that will come out pretty soon. And as soon as it does, I will I will put it on my iPad Air and give it a try. Yeah, because there is going to be a public beta in July. Do you think you'll you'll dive in then? Yeah, I, yeah, I'll dive in on the the first public beta. I'm not crazy enough to put it on my iPad right now when it's the developer beta. That's a little. It's a little too soon, and if there's some kind of problem or a crash that loses data, like it's it's costly enough for me that I don't want to have a problem on my main working machine. But I, I will I will be willing to try out and see what the state of the public beta is when it comes out in in July. So I am I am anticipating that. I'm, I am very much looking forward to that. I bought this iPad here to do that with. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it, and I have it installed here. You have iOS nine installed right now. Mm-hmm. How is it stable? Yes. Hmm. I have run into no problems, but do not take my word for this. So you're saying that I can trust you. I can trust your advice that I, iOS 9 is perfectly stable and it will cause no problems. That's what I'm hearing. What I'll say is I installed iOS 9 onto a completely fresh iPad mm-hmm. and I am using apps like OmniFocus and I am using apps like uh, Fantastical and Workflow and none of them are having any problems right now. Hmm. But I cannot guarantee that that will be the case for everybody. So you are guaranteeing oh. that it's perfectly fine. Do you know what? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's go with this. You, it gets the mic guarantee, and you can decide Great. what that means to you. <laughs> the rumors right now is there's going to be a larger iPad, mm. a big iPad, maybe like a 12-inch iPad. Mm-hmm, is that something mm-hmm. you want? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Give me the bit. I actually, when I, I saw the rumors, they were saying something like it's uh, estimated by screen size. It's like a 129 inch iPad mm-hmm. screen and immediately took out a ruler and measured it on my actual iPad. How big is 12.9 inches? It's like, yes, I would very much like this iPad. The iPad Pro, as it were, to have something that's much bigger. Uh, because again, for my for when I'm working with my iPad, 
uh, I'm using it very often differently. Like I'm, I'm not sitting on the couch where having a big thing might be a little bit awkward to hold. Very often it's it's on a table on a stand. And so a bigger screen is, yes, hugely appreciated in that scenario. And so, yes, I, I, w- I would be one of the first people to sign up for the hmm. bigger iPad. I really, I really hope that that is the case. I'm also... I'm also holding out for the rumor that there may be a, an official Apple stylus that would go along with this iPad. I, uh-huh. I would be very interested in that if it was the case, because I have tried for years to find an acceptable iPad stylus. And at least the current state of things is that they are all degrees of tolerable, but there are no... Uh, iPad styluses on the market now that I could say are good. It's all about what 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 terrible flaws can you tolerate and what trade-offs are you willing to make. So that's why I, I've used an iPad stylus for years, but in the I'm not exactly sure quite when it was. Maybe it was when I did my my big pocket reshuffle. But at some point I thought, you know what, I'm just I'm giving up on these on these iPad styluses for the moment. So I don't currently use one, and I, I would be very hopeful if if Apple can make one that really acts much more like a pen. I could see a lot of uses for that. I'm going to add fuel to that fire for you. Mm-hmm. So there is advancements to the Notes app, which I'm sure make you very happy because you use the Notes app. No, um, I don't care about that. Some of the advancements are drawing tools. Mm-hmm. Now, drawing tools really suggest a drawing implement. Mm-hmm. It's like, For example, one of the tools that is in here is a ruler which you mm-hmm. can use with one hand and draw with the other to make lines. Hmm. And I have heard from a verifiable source that Apple have gone to great lengths in the Notes app to increase the precision and reduce the latency. Mm, yeah, the latency is the real killer. So, so again, for the listeners, latency basically means that on, on your iPad, if you if you open up any drawing app on your iPad now and you put your finger on the screen... You can move your finger fast enough that the drawing app can't keep up. And and that is the real killer problem for lots of iPad styluses and for doing any kind of precision work. Like if you want to try to write, write like you would write cursive on a piece of paper on an iPad, you'll lose your mind because of the latency. I mean, it's only, it's very slight, but it's enough that it's a real problem. So it's it's really a latency issue with trying to get an iPad stylus that works like a pen. So the new Notes app, it does feel better. And my mm. understanding is there is a lot of work going on in that department. Mm-hmm. So maybe you will get what you want, Gray. I think that all the stars are aligning for a bigger iPad, about 12 inches, which apparently will be able to have two full-size apps side-by-side on it, which is why they're going for that length. Hmm. And it also seems like that there will be a stylus. So I think that, you know, the gray pad <laughs> is is being developed. So somebody is listening to you, Gray. I hope Apple dedicates themselves very much to making what I want. Overnight Apple Watches, iPad Pros, good styli. <laughs> this this would be this would be great. The last thing I'll ask about the iPad today. Mm. Do you ever envision a world in the future? where you could make your videos on an iPad. Do you think that that could ever happen? Like, this could be, like, in 10 years' time, for example. But do you think that this device could one day become the device where you could do your editing and stuff on it? Or do you think that a keyboard and a mouse and the the Wacom that you use will always be the preferred input method? 
for this kind of stuff. I mean, to answer your question, if someone took away my Mac and the only tool I could use was an iPad, I could make videos exclusively on the iPad today. The cost would be, I mean, probably quadrupling the amount of time in the animation phase, at least quadrupling probably, because it, the touchscreen is just a slower interface with that. So like, when I'm animating, when I'm doing the drawings, I'm using a program called Inkscape for the moment to to do all those drawings. And I'm like, I know all the keyboard shortcuts in Inkscape. I'm very fast about it. And so I have one hand on the keyboard and I'm using my Wacom tablet with the other hand. And so I can very, very quickly do everything that I want to do. It's almost like as fast as I can think about it. Like, okay, I want to change this color to be 50% opacity, or I need to make this stroke line a little bit thicker. I can do that super fast. And it's almost impossible to imagine a, a touch interface that can replicate that speed. Uh, I, I don't imagine that that's the, that that will ever be the case. But one of the reasons why I am interested in this stylus is there are many, there are many situations where I don't have my Mac with me, but I do want to either sketch out some animations or sometimes I'm just in the mood to do animations. And so I'm constantly thinking about, is there a way that I can do more of this work on the iPad? And that's partly why an iPad Pro interests me, and especially an iPad Pro with a stylus. Without a stylus, animating on the iPad is just never going to be practical. It just doesn't work with the position of your hands and, and the tools that are available. But if we can have an actual pen input, I can imagine offloading some of the animation work, some of the very early animation work to the iPad, which is something I would like to do. But even if we're thinking about an iPad 10 years in the future, it, if that iPad is anything like an iPad today, you know, a, a rectangular touch interface surface, it's, it's hard to imagine it being faster than a, than a keyboard unless they are doing a, a full haptic simulation of a clicky keyboard. You know, if, if that's the state of the technology, well then, yes, maybe I could, but now we're talking about something which is unrecognizable as an iPad. You never know. Let's see what happens in October, and then we can move forward from there. I don't think they'll be uh, replicating with haptic technology keyboards just yet, but someday, someday they'll do. That force touch stuff. I mean, I don't. I think that this it's very early. People are saying we're going to see that kind of thing. I, I think that that's years away. But the stuff that Apple was doing with force touch, I think, is the beginning of that. Oh, oh yeah, the haptic stuff is very impressive. I've seen if, I've seen a few demos with a few other pieces of technology of of haptics being able to simulate something like the feel of a button, and it's it's very impressive. It just currently, we're at the stage of concerns about energy consumption and space in the in device but if you are unconstrained by those you can do some pretty impressive stuff with with haptics and yes i do think that the watch is the very very beginning of that stuff and it will it will progress to further places but for the foreseeable future it's still pretty hard to imagine something that can beat a mac and a keyboard in terms of just speed and efficiency it's the same thing with the podcast. In theory, I could edit the podcast and do everything that I need to do on the iPad, but it's just going to take way longer. 
Uh, I mean, it take, you know, again, with Hello Internet, it takes so long to edit that. And if I was doing it on the iPad, it, w- it would take so much longer. But it's, it's possible now. It's possible to do, but it's just not optimal. So people will have heard in this episode lots and lots of feedback. And I hope that it spurs on people to presenting more because I think what it's shown is part of this show, and I think a lot of this show into the future will be built around people asking questions and things like that because I think it's really interesting. So next week, you know, as I said, we're going to talk about the what it looks like from the moment Gray decides he's going to put a video up and how those like 24 to 48 hours look like. But I will also want to do a bit more Ask Gray. Um, and there's, you know, people. I think the best way for me to see this stuff is for people to tweet with their questions and their thoughts because if they use the hashtag Ask Gray, it all gets collected into a document for me. It's very easy. But I do look in the Reddit, and I have a lot of the stuff you have heard today come from Reddit questions and things like that. So you can uh, ask your questions and give your feedback in the Reddit. So you can go into the post. I'm still trying to get the vernacular correct, Gray. It's like into the post that you'll make on Reddit, which will be for this episode. Is that the right thing to say? They can leave a comment on thread at oh, Reddit. One day I'll get it. I promise I will get it one day. So they can do that and, and people will see it there. I've been there. I've been trying to understand what to do. One day we will talk about Reddit more in depth on this show once I actually can navigate the website and all the apps that are associated with the website. But you can also find us both on Twitter. Gray is at CGP Gray on Twitter and I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can find the show notes for this week's episode over at relay.fm slash cortex slash three thanks to our sponsors for helping us out this week and we'll be back next time mr gray goodbye goodbye mike